This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. open the voice gate for june 14th 2022 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find our podcast on the voices of wrestling podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you'd like to donate to the show just click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site and all you have to do there is click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, alongside Case Slow and Case. We have a lot of shows that happened, but we don't have a lot this week. No, this was, you know, for three shows, probably the one of the weaker weekends in the Dragon Gate schedule this year. I knew this weekend was doomed as soon as we got word which happened a little bit after we stopped recording last week that Mochizuki Jr. was off of the Fukuoka shows due to a back injury. Um, I knew we were in trouble. That was the spark that I needed to get through three Fukuoka shows. And that spark was not there. And so boy, was it a long weekend watching three of these shows. Yeah. And it's something that, so we will be talking this week about the this last weekend in Fukuoka. Three shows instead of two from across Fukuoka. And then we will be, just because Case brought this up yesterday, it's like, hey, Mike, do you want another two hours of wrestling to watch? And I was like, sure, why not? And I'm really glad we did. We're going to be talking about the, the Hanshin battle, Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro Wrestling later on in the show. And for me, like... The big thing about these shows is, so you have three shows here, and then they they have Ginky's Homecoming, and another show, and then it's basically the Okinawa trip. And everything here felt like, in a lot of ways, was waiting to get through the Okinawa trip, other than uh, Shuji Kondo and Kai, in a lot of ways. You know what the best show of the weekend was, Mike? What was that, case? It was Barry on HBO. Can we talk about this real fast? Yeah, they went there. <laughs> Look, we had we had a lot to get to last week. We kind of expedited our Barry talk, but it was the yeah. season finale this week. And I, the reason we're doing a throwback review on top of three show reviews is that I watched the first two and went, Mike, I don't, I can't muster up takes. I'm watching these matches. They exist. <laughs> there was one great match this week, and I went four stars on one match. But other than that, there are matches happening and that is the best and simultaneously worst thing I can say about them is that there are matches in the ring taking place. 
but Barry on HBO. Oh my God. This is, this is in the upper echelon. This is in that upper tier. Uh, if we were Bill Simmons talking about basketball, this would be at the top of the pyramid. This is one of the greatest television shows of all time. It's something that, that w- without getting into like details about it, they managed to go through nearly the entire episode without having a murder on s- screen, but a lot of stuff was happening and a lot of murders were happening. I was like, wow, that's something. And then, and then the final like 15 minutes of the episode, basically with everything with uh, Gene leading up to uh, Barry and Gene and Jim Moss's uh, house was just phenomenal. It just was really, really interesting stuff. And it kind of leaves us now with the thing, like I was reading stuff that Bill Hader was like, yeah, no, we've had to rewrite so much of this and we already have part of season four written. I just don't know where you can go from here at this point, other than trying to resolve Barry and the legal system, I get. I don't remember if I said this on the air last week. I apologize if I did, because I know I was talking to a friend about this, but when Barry season one ended, I hoped that was the end of the show. I didn't want them to do a season two because I thought there's no way that they're going to follow up on season one. All of these mysteries that are left unsolved, they will disappoint me when they are eventually resolved. And then season two happened and it blew season one out of the water. So when this season came around, I was buckled in, ready to go. I knew they were going to crush it. And the expectations that I have for season four are monumental at this point. But I've never had more faith in a television show in real time because I'm notoriously very young. I did not did not watch The Sopranos in real time. But going through that, you go, oh, whatever they do, they're going to crush it. And this is the closest that I've had to that feeling where – yeah, who who knows where they go in season four, whether it starts with uh, and skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear the spoilers, whether it starts with Barry in prison or we just fast track that process and hit end with him getting out. I do not know. But oh, my God, I am so, so intrigued. And I hope it's only a year wait and not a three year wait like we had with season two to season three. I thought part of the reason the finale was so interesting was. To me, the beauty of Barry has always been that it's something that I've been searching for on television. I, Not every show needs to be this way, but I don't understand why so many shows lock themselves into it's either funny or it's dramatic, or as we've seen really over the last six or seven years, these bad dramedies that are neither funny nor dramatic. That seems to be the happy medium of television at this point. But this is a show that is genuinely funny and genuinely dramatic and it accepts both of those realities and i talked to my dad about it because he was like i can't get into the show i don't know what it is i don't know if i'm supposed to laugh or not and to me that is the beauty of it it is so dark but so funny at times and i have been waiting for a tv show to embrace the fact that it can be both and then with that said the finale other than one or two scenes was just bleakness darkness depressing murder awful terribleness and it was wrapped up in this beautiful 30 minute package it, it's something that you, you mentioned watching things play out in real time and for me and i know and again hater talked a little bit about this and it's very similar to who i think is the uh top creative at hbo and jody hill and and danny mcbride is that all three of them for Righteous Gemstones or the just general stuff that that Hill McBride do and Hater, 
they write it out and they stage it as okay this is a however many episode long movie and we're going to go take you from start to finish and it's something that i think that when you talk about season four and spoilers for 10 for 30 seconds here i i don't think we can really like other than the fact that we've seen how ineffective law enforcement generally is in this i don't think we can make an expectation that barry gets out so i wonder how much of it's going to actually become like a metaphysical sort of thing like as they're prone to do with him on the beach this season it was terrific thank you for indulging us that was our barry talk let us get through fukuoka so we can talk about dragon gate versus osaka pro yeah getting through it i think is the best way to to describe it so these shows were on the 11th and the 12th. The one show on the 11th will remain up on the network until the 18th. The two shows from the 12th will be up on the network until the 19th. It's single cam. It's across Fukuoka. Uh, we really pulled a few topics out that really were the four big storyline things from this these shows. Because I will go through all of the results first if, if you would want it. Or should we just... Re I'm right now looking at the Facebook page and they do not have... The, the full results, I know they're on Twitter here, but just leading us off, I think the biggest story coming out of this weekend is now this triangle three-way uh, just situation that's happening over the Open the Dreamgate title as now Kai is clearly ducking the King of Gate 2022, Yuki Oshioka, and instead nominated the person who defeated him in the King of Gate tournament, Shuchi Kondo, for originally it was Kobe World, but now it is for the 7 7 Tokyo Cork and Hall show. And do, well, what's your just get your temperature check on this? Like, that it, it does not really feel like the Masato Yoshino option where they would flip the belt over to him, but instead it seems like we're getting one more Kai defense before he likely drops it. I said last week I was 60 40 on Kai retaining at Kobe World but I have the right to reserve that weekly as we go along. And I am now up to 50-50 Kai retaining versus Yoshioka winning the belt. I don't see Kondo making his way into that Dreamgate slot at Kobe World. I do think Shuji Kondo is doing great work right now. And that is the exciting thing is this will probably, under the Dreamgate banner, be his last big profile push could he be a triangle gate champion at some point of course could he be a twin gate champion possibly i think that'd be very exciting but we are seeing given the direction of this company given the way that things have worked around here over the last three or four years this is probably it for Kondo. and i'm super excited about the match with kai because i i think he's doing really really solid work on these smaller shows i think the booking of this situation is interesting because they have loaded up this July Cork and Hall show with a hair versus hair match and a Dreamgate match. And Mike, off the top of your head, I should have prepared for this. I did not. Was Doi versus KZ in February of 2020? Was that the last Dreamgate match in Cork and Hall? No, there was one earlier this year, Takashi Yoshida. Oh, oh, okay. Well, okay. In fairness, <laughs> in fairness, I blo I blocked that out of my memory. I apologize. Don't you remember to the cape? <laughs> I, boy, do I remember the cape. <laughs> okay. So what we have here is the first possibly good Dreamgate match in Corkett Hall 
since February of 2020, on top of a Don Fuji versus Dragon Dia match, which is intriguing on paper just with those names involved, but they have a legitimate build to this. This has become a nice little angle, and I have to think they're looking to do 1,200, 1,300, 1,400. I, I don't know what the cap is in Cork and Hall currently with their setup, but they are looking to put as many fans in those seats as possible, and I think that is really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, the highest attendance I've seen in Corkin was the uh, Saruta Memorial Show was 1580-something. Uh, I don't think that that they're going much farther than that because there still is the, uh, the just uh, segregated seating right now. So it's not all back to just everyone in every seat. They're still spacing things out with that. But it... It, it's something that I, as long as Dragon Gate books the way Dragon Gate has always booked, I think you have to consider a face, a, a favorite in Kobe world. So when we talk about you're moving down to 50-50, I still think that Yoshioka is going to win there. And I think that it's something that's going to take a lot for me just to get away from that kind of guidance. but. I just uh, yeah, thinking about Kondo on this last run here, I, I, not for Kobe World, but I'd be tempted just to see like a short monster run for him, like one last big one before he's out of here. And if it's just this one title shot, I'll be a little let down. It'll be his first and likely last Open the Dreamgate Championship match of his career, and I think deep down, everybody listening to this is going. God, it would be really cool if Shuji Kondo won that match, and it would be really cool. And I would right, be into yeah. it, I would be into that if they did it. I don't see it happening. I think uh, Kai has the larger story to tell. I, I came out of Dead or Alive saying this, where we just have to accept the reality that Kai has stepped up to the plate and he has delivered in all of these big matches. Yoshida, eh, kind of, but I don't know if I would even call that a big match. But while I've had issues with some of the builds to his Dreamgate matches. The Shimizu match delivered. The Susumi Yokosuka match is one of the best matches in wrestling of this entire year. And there is a story to be told with Kai repeatedly winning by roll-up when he chastises others for doing that. Kai is the story. And Kondo is not the flash pin guy. It would be, look, if Shuji Kondo busts out a Lamahi straw and pins Kai to win the Open the Dreamgate Championship at Corken Hall, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. That's going to be incredible. I'm going to be standing and pacing in my studio apartment. That is not going to happen. It is going to be Kai winning as it should. And then Yoshioka at world. And I, I still don't know because it's crazy that I'm saying this in June of 2022, six months after he won the title, but I have been a fan of Kai's Dreamgate run. And there was a part of me, Mike, this is scary to say, this is me being vulnerable with you being real and intimate and honest. I'm not sure I'm ready for Kai's Dreamgate run to end. Now, being vulnerable about this, is it that you're afraid of what to do with Kai after he drops the title? Or is this genuine enjoyment and you're looking at the opportunity cost of the genuine enjoyment if that's a Yuki Yoshioka title run that does not necessarily balance out? Look, am I worried about what to do with Kai? If I had power i would say no because i would say kai you were a wonderful open the dream gate champion here's a handshake let me buy you a steak dinner 
have fun in all Japan, my man. Uh, if you want to go to Noah, that is awesome. You have thank you for your service. You have done your time. We'll catch you on the flippity flip. I don't. I don't think that's happening. I think he's sticking around. And if there's, I'm. I've become. I've become so pro Kai. I can't believe it. I've become the person that I'm. I'm most afraid of. But you have the built-in story of the power structure in Zebrats, and I kind of want to see that play out. I think that's super interesting between Shun and SB Kento and Hyo, and then Kai. Again, they're this well-constructed heel unit. I love what they're doing. If I was in Tokyo right now going to a Dragon Gate show, I would want to buy a Zebrats t-shirt more than any other unit there is currently. Well, M3K notwithstanding. I actually really want an M3K t- uh, M3K t-shirt. But Zebrats is my unit. I love what they do. But the power structure is a little messed up because there are these young guys and then there's Kai, and that has to be resolved at some point. So... It's it's bizarre to think that we're not only in a spot where I'm not sure I'm ready for him to lose his Dreamgate belt, but I also kind of want to see what's next because I think that next step could be super interesting as long as it's not Twin Gate matches with BB Hulk or against Yamato. That is the worst thing they can do is come Dangerous Gate. We find ourselves in that position. As long as they don't do that, I'm on board. You know what would be a great way to, to take care of that power struggle case? What's that? Oh, it's that... Kai gets overthrown, and you know who'd be waiting with waiting arms for him? Who's that? Oh, that's Yamato in high end. That the I, I at this point, that's what I expect is going to. Yeah, I'm. I that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. I hmm, that that puts me in an interesting predicament because I think on paper that is fine, but my eyeballs are exhausted at the sight of Kai and Yamato next to each other. <laughs> It's just hard. They could go out there. Here's the thing. Kai and Yamato versus Diamante and Shun Skywalker for the Twin Gate belt. You can pencil that in four and a half stars on the spreadsheet. That is That would be an amazing match. And I would also hate it because it's Kai and Yamato teaming. And it's not that they've done anything wrong. It's that it is just going to take a lot, a lot for me to care about Kai and Yamato doing anything together again especially with the handicap that they're under the high-end banner. That is tough for me. No, that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. Well, you brought up the other big match on July 7th, and boy, did they do a lot over the three shows to build it up. Don Fuji is still awful at skateboarding, but he has gotten under Dragon Dia's skin for what it seems like to be the last time throughout this weekend in Fukuoka. I love this. I, I Don Fuji is such an interesting wrestler, and we'll talk a little bit about this with Super Shisa when we get into our throwback review this week. But it's like I always say with Fuji, if he was in any other company, I think there would just be more asked of him, and thus his output would be higher. But you see him here, and this is this is becoming a really interesting story where it was klepto, uh, kleptomaniac Don Fuji, and he was wearing the ski mask, and everybody knew it was him, and he tried to skate, and he fell down, and it was very funny. And then there's this switch that gets flipped when Fuji's in a big spot, and all of a sudden on, on, on this weekend, he's hitting Dragon Daya with a skateboard, and he's choking him with the skateboard. And there's some real violence to this that I really, really like. And if anything, 
it toughens up Dragon Die a little bit. Pretty boy, nice guy, skateboarder, love it. Those are all positive attributes to have in a man. But it also helps to take a punch from Don Fuji every once in a while. And I think Dragon Dia will come out of this feud better as a result. Yeah, and the big crux of this was the semi-main event from the 612 Day shows, the second Fukuoka show, with D. Courage teaming with Madoka Kakuda versus Suji Kondo, Don Fuji, and Ginky Horiguchi. And this was probably, at least to this point, and looking at the night show, there was one thing I liked a little bit more, but this was probably the most fun I had watching a Dragon Gate match in Fukuoka this week, just because of the amount of just intertwinedness that we got there. We got Kakuda with his generational kind of peers and D courage. And I felt like he showed some confidence there that we haven't necessarily seen upon his return. But then we had the everything with Daya and Fuji with the DQ happening after Don Fuji just snaps and just decks him with the skate deck nonstop. While there's also Shuji Kondo and Yuki Okiosha, Yoshioka stuff going on through it. And it was really something that I felt like this weekend of shows direly need. And it really put a nice pen on the Daya and Fuji Apuesas match we're getting in two weeks. We didn't talk about this last week. Let's talk about it now. Can I get a vibe check on where you're at with Madoka Kakuta? He had the singles match versus Ishinihashi and Kobe on June 4th. He had the three matches this weekend that uh, I thought I thought he did okay. And there was a six man with him and Genki Horiguchi and Eita against Zebrats. There was Kakuta, like you mentioned here, with D Courage against Fuji Horiguchi and Kondo. And then that final night, he was in the main event uh, once again with D Courage and then with Shuji Kondo against Zebrats, Kai, BB Hulkyo, and SB Kento. Where are you at with him a month and change into his return? I, it's something that last week was not a good week for him in my mind. I was not really feeling how he was with some of the, some of the appearances with this. And it's something that really over the last month and change, I feel like that it, it's really a coin flip to see what you see with in him in case. I think a lot of it incidentally is confidence and just like feeling comfortable. And he, and in scenarios where he he's comfortable, he doesn't necessarily like. It's not that he's dominant, but it, he's not necessarily like disappearing into the background the same way that Benke tends to do. I felt like that he looked good. I felt like he had a good vibe, especially with Decourage. I really like those three together. That you hit it exactly right. He is a man wrestling without confidence right now. He is wrestling like August 2021 Strong Machine J. And I use that specifically because that means there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope there. But on a show-in, show-out basis, I have no idea what I'm getting from him at this point. I like the Ishin match. I thought he had a very good weekend. I liked him in all of these uh, tags that he was in. But I don't necessarily buy, just from the way he's projecting, just to play body language doctor for a second, I don't by that he thinks he's doing good work right now, and it kind of bleeds in to his matches. I like the Ishin match specifically because he was a little bit more dominant. I think he is destined to be a great heel. I don't necessarily see the babyface fire that I'd like to see from him, being a young guy, being one of the younger guys on the roster, having a, a pedigree with that Dreamgate challenge, but then also still 
you know, getting his shit rocked by some of these older wrestlers, there should be built-in fire there. And I'm not really seeing it when he's in those positions, but when he is wrestling a guy like Ishan and he can work on top, I think he comes across a little bit better, but you hit it exactly. He's not wrestling like a guy who believes in himself right now and it's bleeding into his matches. And it's something where other than defeating SB Kento and the King of Gate tournament case, like how much have they really gone with the, uh, Madoka Kakuda versus the former members of R.E.D. Really not at all. So it's something where it's not just that he feels adrift in ring. It's just something where hey, usually you would start seeing him going, uh, someone coming out back from injury, doing a face turn, going after the heel unit. And we're not seeing that yet. And I think it's something that I, it, since he's so young, that could be some of it, but would like to see at least some direction with him with 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 a yo maybe with an SBK because I feel like that there's something there that could maybe put a little bit more focus on him that I feel like that when he's given focus and it's when something he's comfortable with he's knocked it out of the park since returning but it's just not often and it's not consistent. I do think you hit on something there for as much as I like the state of the Drangate booking. Thank you Nozawa for all that you do. Kakuta is a guy that does feel directionless, and that's an odd position for him to be in, given that he just came back from a pretty hyped return. It's You're exactly right. It seems like he should have gone into something with Hyo, with SB Kento, with whoever, to obviously have all these six-mans against Zebrats is one thing, but there's no direction within those tags, and I think that has hurt him. So, so good point on that. Yeah, and it's something that... I mean, when you compare him against like his peers, is he really far behind? Maybe if you're doing like a belt count thing with Espy Kento, or maybe when you look at Estrella and Estrella now, you know, already being on excursion. So it it, it it's something where I would not sell my Kakuta stock at all right now, even short term, but it, it it's something that with Strong Machine J last year, it this one feels like that there's other than just confidence things. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of focus on. I that's exactly it. Hold your stock as somebody that nailed the Strong Machine J prediction. Hold your stock. Don't do anything with it. Don't get excited about it, but don't do anything with it. We'll check back in in a month and we'll see how we're doing. Exactly. I'm down with that. And with this next weekend coming up, the first time that we will be getting live streams from Okinawa, including the Dragon Cross Dragon Show done it with conjunction with Ryukyu Dragon Pro Wrestling, we had a little bit of a buildup of a little show-to-show feud between the Open the Twin Gate champions, Shun Skywalker and Diamante, and two of the Ryukyu Dragon people that we've seen a lot whenever they have stopped by, and, and Ultra Soki, I believe the Ryukyu Dragon singles champion, along with uh, one of my guys, Sherry Joe. And that led up to a win that the uh, Riku Dragon pair got on the last show, the uh, evening show, with after that, they immediately did a challenge for the Twin Gate titles for Kunamoto on the 13th. It was yesterday, correct? Yes, it was yesterday. As of right now, that match has not aired anywhere. I'm assuming we'll get a director's cut on the Dragon Gate Network by the time we record next week. Yeah, yeah, and 
it's something that like I wonder with this weekend because usually we only get the two shows and Fukuoka. I wonder if some of this like doing a third show maybe I did not look into how the Okinawa tour operated this year, but maybe it is that they already started the fan tour and they included the Fukuoka show so they wanted to have another uh show at that venue. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything in regards to that. I do know that as of the time we're recording this and we're coming up on the halfway point of 2022 Shun Skywalker to me is the best wrestler in the world. My most outstanding wrestler of the year. And I think this weekend helped him in that candidacy a lot. Uh, As odd as that may sound watching what he got out of ultra Soki and we're both Shuri Joe guys. That man can work. We like whenever he pops up, but seeing what he got out of this big. And I say this with love, but big buffoon of a wrestler in ultra Soki, a man who uh, for reference defeated Takashi Yoshida in April to retain the Riku dragon top title. Uh, Oh my God, this was such an effective and fun match. This was on the final show of the weekend, the evening show on June 12th. This was compact. This was intense. This had purpose because it set up the Twin Gate match for the next day. I can't believe how good Shun and Diamante are. I hope they continue to hold these belts. And because there's so much good wrestling or at least wrestlers that are put in positions to be good in 2022. I really hope they get some sort of spotlight as we go throughout the year so that when it comes time to fill out ballots, we can easily point to them, point to three or four matches and go, these guys were the best tag team of the year, not named the young bucks. Yeah. I mean, being able to, I'm going to be fascinated to see how this twin gate matches. I think it's going to be really good if it's anything like the first match. I, Uh, by the end of that, when, when Shun won with the mask grip, I was into it. I, I was so excited to see what was going to come and I'm bummed. It wasn't uploaded on the YouTube. We're going to have to wait a few more days. It looks like, but I wanted that handheld on the floor of Riku dragon's finest challenging Shun and Diamante for the twin gates. I, maybe this was because I watched all these shows in rapid succession. I did not feel that way at all about the semi-main event case. I thought this was a, until like the last few minutes with the mask, I thought this was really dry working around uh, ultra. So I'm certain is a very pleasant individual. I love his mask. I would love his vibe. Probably one of the l- less talented people that they could have brought over for this. And it just was a lot of him kind of stumbling and being awkward. And it kind of, I did not like Soki's presence before this match. I really enjoyed what he did with Zebrats. So I'm with you, but I'm against you. I would love to know who Soki is friends with that gets him booked as often as he is. Yeah. I mean, like, Charami Saber is in that promotion, right? Like, this yeah. is, yeah, my my main man. Like, Sherry <laughs> Joe, yes. But Charami <laughs> Saber, that's someone completely different. Hibiscus Mill, talented wrestler. Yeah, yeah, and she hasn't done any of the Fukuoka stuff either, you know. No, One. but I, I'm I'm looking forward to this weekend. We, uh, I, I'm very excited for next week's show. It's going to be a lot of Okinawa talk, a lot of Ryu Dragon talk. So that should be a good time. I, I mean, it's basically going to end up us like having a devotional to Gurkha Mask, right? 
oh, I, like plan, on, I plan on praising him for 90 minutes. Whatever else we do after that is fine, but it's going to be a Garuk and Mask 90-minute monologue to open up the show. Yeah, I mean, gosh. I, I, I can't wait for this Dragon Cross Dragon show. Like, I don't know anything about the, the card. We don't know anything about it, but it's going to be fascinating. I assume that there's going to be a KZUT title match on there. That's a good point. That's yeah, that I, I would imagine there is. I mean, it's just Okinawa's fun. We don't get this stuff on TV anymore. I I know we've talked about this on the show and I know it's been confirmed to me, but I forget. I know specifically the last time I remember the Okinawa trip making TV was 2014. And it was just a really fun block of TV with lighthearted multi-man matches. But, you know, the the featured stuff, much like a Fukuoka show, last two matches in the car, those are going to deliver. And plus, I like the Ryukyu Dragon guys. I think they're fun. I like any promotion with fun junior heavyweight wrestlers. This is very much going to be this weekend shows are the Case and Mike special. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay with being happy for once in my life. It's good to treat ourselves. This is what I keep on hearing. I haven't totally bought into that, but I'm <laughs> I'm hearing a lot about this treat yourself mentality. I mean, uh, if you ever watch Twin Peaks case, you'd know it's very important every day once a day give yourself a present. Uh, I've never seen Twin Peaks. I learned and this oh, is wow. Oh, so wow. this is so this is this is hashtag cancel culture coming up. So I learned who David Lynch was because he was an actor on Louie. And have you seen those episodes? Yes, I know exactly okay. what you're referring to. But Case, you no. are <laughs> so... even more. No, 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 Case. You're even more of a hipster than I was at your age. And I can't believe you have not like been in a scenario where someone said, hey, let's watch all the way through Twin Peaks. Like that's. Well, that's where I'm you're stunned. incorrect. Have I have I been offered to watch Twin Peaks? Absolutely. Have I taken them up on that offer? No, no. My knowledge of David Lynch is that he was in a few episodes of Louie. And when I saw them, I was like, holy shit who's the old guy he's the best actor i've ever seen and then i looked him up and that was like the second thing he had ever acted in and i was just annoyed by that i wanted to watch more footage of him i don't give a i i was like i don't know twin pings who fucking cares that's some that's a nerd show i want to see him do louis but in other things <laughs> you are really pushing me to my core right now you are really yeah but is it it's like that twin peaks is like spooky isn't it vaguely unlike it's the no, mo- but it's not funny no it's very funny oh it's very it, fun okay is it kind of like the is well, okay could you draw the line from twin peaks to barry i think you could Damn i think it. that there, there are certain aspects to it that i think you could especially with like the concept of the lapd being incredibly bumbling okay that and- that i'm on board with and it's not that the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department are bumbling. It's far from that thing. It's just that there's a lot of bumbling characters on Twin Peaks that are very funny. Okay. All right. My and brother it has likes more it. David- and I'm a- Go ahead. And has a lot more David Lynch acting. Oh, does he act in it? Yeah, he's Gordon Cole. Oh, okay. That I didn't realize that. I thought he just directed it. No, no, no. It, it's only later in the show he pops up, but when he pops up, his character is fantastic. Go, uh, special agent in charge. I think it's special agent in charge, Gordon Cole of the FBI. He he's an old time FBI G man. Okay. Okay. My brother really likes it. I'm always looking for topics to talk to my brother about because that well runs runs dry pretty quick. So I might be watching Twin Peaks. 
Hey, Barry's over. I mean, Twin Peaks, up to a certain point, one of the best television shows ever made in the United States. Barry, I have, no, I have nothing. I have basketball's going to be over. Barry's over. Thank God for these Okinawa shows. I got nothing else going on in my life right now. It's not good. <laughs> well, Case, you can get about 20 hours of excellent television and then another 12 hours of very weird television if you watch Twin Peaks. I don't want to think. That's I get. That's where. Where do you stand on Lost? Are you a Lost guy? Uh, not really. No. Interesting. No. Okay. Because I I've wanted to do a Lost rewatch because I haven't really watched it since I was in high school. But then I just thought about how much I hated whatever the season was with time travel. I think that was season five. And I just at that point I was like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. Case here is like the exact inverse, and uh, and for people who have list who have watched both Twin Peaks and uh, Lost, this will sound incredibly insane, but I don't care. Uh, the you know what place lost me on Twin Peaks? What's that? Oh, not Twin, not Twin Peaks. Sorry, on Lost. Go it ahead. It was when the smoke monster popped up. I was done. This is okay. This is what my brother says, and. I, I got through that. I was I was on board with everything until they started time traveling. And I, as a concept, just reject that entirely. So I, I couldn't go past that. Take that, Jules Verne. Take that. Well, the other major thing that happened on this Fukuoka weekend was uh, before the weekend happened, as Kiss mentioned, Mochizuki Jr. What, pulled his back, I believe, in training. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's out long term, but he was pulled from this weekend of shows. So that meant that M3K was back to M2K. And for people who aren't familiar with classic M2K, we got a whole lot of the double ring out committee. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say on this, but I do think it was worth mentioning that we have the original M2K. They're doing the double ring out stuff. Your mileage is going to vary on this. I really like it. I think when you purposefully construct matches around a double countout in a way that the audience is invested in that is something that is not seen anywhere else in wrestling and i think it's a really interesting story device so i'm all for it i hope mochizuki jr comes back soon because and i kind of alluded to this last week but we're now in a really weird spot on these dragon gate shows and it speaks to the power of takuma fujiwara who you know, we'll see what happens with him. Obviously, he's working in Mexico. I believe, I believe he is allowed to work in America as well. I can double check on that. Uh, but we, you know, we could see zero of his excursion matches, and he's still done enough to win Rookie of the Year because Drangate is now in this odd position where losing Fujiwara eliminates an automatically good match from these shows and that's crazy to think because he's 20 he's been wrestling for seven months but that's the position we're in and i was hoping that mochizuki jr was just going to fill that void slide right in there and consistently have the most entertaining thing on the show so i hope he comes back soon because i'm into the m3k i like m2k doing the double ring out stuff this is all very very fun to me i'm really excited about all of this yeah and it's interesting the they went one zero and two with the two double ring outs, but the one that they won was on the first show, and it was with and it was Kondo with the Geku, the uh, Geku Judo elbow drop. But they went straight to it, and the, I I think that really your mileage might vary with this. I'm someone that like I f for me I thought it was really fascinating that King of Pro Wrestling uh, stipulation from this week where it's like it's a ten minute match, but you have to see how many falls you get, 
or how how many counts you get basically whereas you're you're still using the basic thing of pro wrestling but you're just gearing it towards a certain aspect of it that you don't visit that often and i think m2k does that so phenomenally well i mean the way that they had this fukuoka crowd in it because they did multiple double ring out attempts in each match and the crowd bit on each and every single one of them and it was incredibly it's something that's incredible to watch to see them pull this off 22 years later yeah to me it's no different than a near fall just the construction of it is different and i really like that i i don't know if i trust another wrestling company to do that i don't know if i trust another wrestling audience to buy into that but if you buy into this in this context, in the system, I think it's tremendous. Absolutely. So that those were the folk, the Fukuoka shows that we were talking about this week. They are going to be up the network from the eight until the eighteenth and the nineteenth. Uh, well, let uh, me ask was, you. Let me ask you real oh, quick. Ahead. Your your match of the weekend. What was it? It's really hard not to have that D Courage and Kakuda versus Kondo Fuji and Horiguchi six man. I really liked, though, the main event of that night. I liked the uh, eight-man tag, Natural Vibes versus uh, Zebra. It's uh, Hulk, Shumante, SBK versus KZ, uh, Jason Lee, Big Boss, Shimizu, and, and Strong Machine J. I thought Strong Machine J was showing a little bit more of the personality that I was hoping for last week in this match. I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah, I would say the uh, the main event of the daytime show on June 12th, that eight-man that was Hulk, Diamante, Shun, and SB Kento versus Natural Vibes, KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, Jason Lee, and Strong Machine J. That was my match of the weekend. I also really like that aforementioned Fuji, Horiguchi, and Kondo versus uh, D-Courage and Kakuta match. And then, like you said, the eight-man to close out the weekend was very strong. Yeah, it, it's something that there are pieces on these shows that are a lot of fun uh we did we had more future matches including i i just had a note that i think will be interesting to kind of keep track of kaito and nagano from fukuoka and i mentioned this case i i don't remember the last person dragon gate actually had from fukuoka yeah i don't know off the top of my head but to have a guy from a market that you hit consistently is something that dragon gate will exploit and use in their favor absolutely absolutely and that was the weekend there uh do should we hit the other news notes that we wanted to get to before we talk about the hanshin battle i think that is a great idea all right so as we've kind of alluded to uh estrella and takuma fujiwara if they're not already in mexico now they will be in mexico within the next few days uh we have case you posted it from the twitter account their first international bookings uh and of course the biggest thing of note so far is La Estrella will be debuting in MLW coming up at the Battle Riot. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what comes of this. Like I said, obviously Fujiwara is working in Mexico. I am assuming that he will be in America at some point. I know there are some advocates helping out with the booking of these guys. One specifically who is a big La Estrella fan, so it doesn't surprise me that he's getting uh, the big opportunity in MLW over Fujiwara, who at least as of this time of recording is not announced. What do you think about the four-way of Estrella, Arez, Lince Dorado, and Myron Reed for that MLW middleweight championship? Do you think that's a good use of Estrella? Is there something you would do differently? Why don't you pull up that MLW fighters page and take a look at their roster? (laughs) All right. I'm pulling up the page right now. But uh, 
I, I wonder how much with Fujiwara is going to be the fact that he just turned 20. He's not legally an adult in the United States. He's not 21 yet. Jesus Christ, he is that young. Holy cow. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be a thing with for him. Gosh, this website is just... It's crazy, space. right? It, 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 MLW is just in its... Like, we talk about how Dragon Gate is its own bubble. It's in its own universe. It is certainly not the same as Dragon Gate, but MLW does offer a similar energy. Right, yeah. Uh, I think... For Estrella, I think working that match is probably the right thing for him right now. I, I, I feel a lot better about Estrella going to MLW than I would be about Takuma Fujiwara. To really? Okay, yeah. why is that? So the reason why is, or at least of the options available for him, I think MLW is the best. Because at the very least, there will be enough uh, people that, like, like you have Lince Dorado and there, Myron Reed, you have Ares and... Those are all three guys. I'm like, all right, Estrella can get something out of this. And that's kind of, uh, he can get something out of this. And I'm not worried about his safety, to be quite honest, because there are some places that might book him on the Indies that I don't like. I, I would not send Dragon Gate people to. So I think MLW has a lot of people that I feel like would be relatively good for Estrella, at least in the short term. I was pretty down on this match when it was announced. I just, I don't like the idea of putting him in a scramble. He hasn't been in a situation like this. I don't know how he's going to do. And then I thought about it. And I was like, well, I really like a res. I think he's a really good wrestler. Myron Reed is somebody who I watch all the time in Chicago and AAW. And he was for a very long time sort of diet AR Fox. And so he would ape the things that Fox did, but not as well as him. It was probably worse at the things Fox wasn't great at. But Myron Reed has turned himself into a credible, solid pro wrestler. And then there's Dorado, who isn't flashy, but is certainly capable of helping a guy out if he's in trouble in a match. So I'm, I'm more on board with that. I would really like to see Estrella versus Puma King at some point. I think that would put Estrella in a position to do very well. Puma King is probably the closest they have to a Diamante type on the roster, and I think that would be a, of great benefit to Estrella. Yeah, yeah, like, like that's the thing. Like I'm looking at this fighters page, and other than it making me want my eyes to bleed, <laughs> there's just like you have Puma King there. I mean, TJP, you have him there as well. TJ, okay, here's the thing. That, that's why I'm so surprised to hear you say that you like Australian MLW more than the idea of Fujiwara there. Because I look at Fujiwara and I go, throw him against Davey, throw him against TJP, throw him against Matt Cross, throw him against Calvin Takeman if you have to, throw him against RMS, throw him against Arez. I, I'm sure Fujiwara is talented enough he could get a three-star match out of Warhorse, which is uh, basically Ric Flair wrestling a broom. There's a lot of Fujiwara stuff that I think has potential here outside of a possible Puma King match and the perverted thought I just had of Estrella versus the real one, Enzo Amore. I don't know if I love this roster for him. I, I guess, like, the way I look at these two guys is you're looking at two guys with different profiles, just, like, physically to begin with, and then also... I would guess what you would want out of them for this excursion. Would you say that's fair to, fair to say that you're not like painting the same brush for Fujiwara and Australia? No, that that's that's a very fair assessment. So when I look at this roster, 
for MLW. Yeah, you have your Davies and all the people you've mentioned there. And yeah, f- for us, like Fujiwara, like Matt Cross, like great matches for him there. I think that with Fujiwara, it's going to be such a, it will be a lot slower, I, I would say, just because of how young he is. And, you know, Davy and like people like this, what's to say you can't face him elsewhere outside of MLW? Like this roster specifically doesn't have things there. Whereas for the kind of wrestler that, I think they're trying to get with his straight and he tries to pull off there. I think actually being in like four way matches might help him a little bit in a way, if that makes sense. I see that argument. I, I don't, I don't have a counter to that. Cause I, I think you're onto something there. And I certainly like the idea of Davey versus either Fujiwara or Australia happening outside of MLW. Uh, certainly the Logan square auditorium in Chicago could house a match like that. I, I know they're, there has been some thoughts of God, if we could get Fujiwara to America, he could wrestle Josh Alexander in that building hypothetically, of course. So let's manifest that into something. I don't know if you're a crystal guy, Mike, but let's manifest Fujiwara coming to Logan square auditorium. Yeah. Like, like that's like the thing is like, I think you would get a better version of that match and something that Fujiwara would get more out of in Logan square than he would under the constraints of MLW. Well, that's MLW's story. Every match is a quarter or a half star worse than it would be well, in any other promotion. It, it's not just like the uh, deflation, the wrestle, the wrestle circusification of wrestling. It, it, it's like the fact that like MLW, he is there as, okay, he's a young guy from Dragon Gate, like visiting person there. That That's not going to be like, I don't think it's rational. I think they're going to get like huge pushes out of this. So they're going to be working in the constraints of other programs there so it's not necessarily like go and experience and have a match where you get a lot out of working with someone like davy richards you're going to be serving the purpose of what is this supposed to be doing on mlw whereas in logan square i feel like you could have that experience i think that's a very fair point and i I, we had one more topic that we wanted to hit on kids before we got to osaka am i blanking on it something Oh, boy, you said one more topic, and I thought, God, I hope Mike remembers what it is, because I don't. I think nope. I, I think, think we're it. ready to move on to Osaka. All right. So, Case, you dropped this on me. What led you to wanting us to re- review the, the Hanshin battle Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro Wrestling? So here's my story with this show. This was Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro. This happened June 18th of 2010 so we're approaching the all-important 12-year anniversary of this show by the time most of you listen to this we'll have hit that point you can celebrate and watch the show the day of the link will be in the description to this show had you ever seen this show before mike no and i was trying to figure it out while i was watching this this is clearly an osaka pro dvd this is from this is not from a dragon gate dvd and there are some reasons about that that we'll get into leading up to the backstory and everything leading up to this show so what happened was last year june 3rd is the king of gate finals and cork and hall it's kz versus kota minora kz wins i'm watching live i'm so excited I plan to do this big write-up on KZ's career, why this is the biggest win. It's KZ time. Here we go. Wait, before I write, let me put on some background noise. And I went through the wrestling that was available to me. I said, oh, Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro. Well, those are two things I like. This is a show I've never seen before. 
I should have this on in the background while I'm writing this review. And then what happened was I watched the opening match. I saw and heard one of the hottest crowds I have heard in my life. And I, I watched a legitimately great, truly fire pro randomizer level six man tag. And then I paused it and I have waited a year to talk about this show with you. We've we've had this as an idea to talk about a few different times and we've pushed it back. And then, like I said, I watched the first two Fukuoka shows and I said, oh, geez, okay, all right, we got to talk about something else because I'm going to want to fly through these shows as quickly as human possible, as humanly possible. I had not seen this show in full until this afternoon. I was telling Mike, I don't even know a lot about the historical implications of this show or why it happened. This is Dragon Gate in 2010, which is a pretty big blind spot for me outside of your big pay-per-views and your featured Cork and Hall matches. This is a year that I do not love, and there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of writing on Dragon Gate in 2010. So I don't, I don't know how we got here. I don't know why this happened. But this is secretly one of the greatest Drangate shows of all time. Yeah. So I've spent some time trying to find things to pieces together. Because I'll be honest about this. This is a few that I knew it happened. I remember seeing a lot of Tiger's masks around in 2010. And especially the stuff leading up to Yoshino getting the Brave Gate back. But the lead up to that, this is kind of fascinating because because a lot of the stuff that happened to build up this feud happened in osaka pro it did not happen in dragon gate and it really starts with gamma and it's kind of topical that we chose to do the show because a lot of this even though he is in the semi-main event and that and, and when we say this is dragon gate versus osaka pro this is really warriors and we and team veteran versus osaka pro in saying this and it really starts because of Gamma and reinvading the company he left to join Dragon Gate five years before this is was one of the things that I kind of calcified for. And in this video file that we will post, it has all these segments leading up to this show with Gamma reinvading Osaka Pro and then Osaka Pro going like, all right, well, then bring out your big guns. Bring in. If you're doing this, then we want to see Shima. We want to see X, Y, and Z. We want, we want Dragon Gate here. If that's if that's the route we're going here, that's the route we're going to. But instead, it really became about Super Shisa, who was at this time open the Brave Gate champ. Yeah, I I love this sort of view. This is interpromotional stuff done right. It is really i think it can and and not on the scale obviously but watching this show it reminded me of a lot of the new japan versus war stuff that i really like from 92 and 93 where you have these promotions that in ring wise are very similar but what they represent is very different from one another and it's so interesting to see drangate in this position on this show where they are the top dogs. They're coming into this tiny little Osaka promotion and trying to show people who's boss. And in any other context, whether it's a Drangate guy in Super Juniors or whether they invade Noah or whether they pop up in All Japan, they're never really in that position. They're the bastard child of Japanese wrestling. But here on this show, they are these big, bad invaders. And I think that is a really cool perspective to watch this show from because I watched some things from, you know, wrestlers that I've watched hundreds and hundreds of matches of, and I've never seen them work like they did here. 
Yeah, so the big thing with Gamma was, and I should have mentioned this a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes ago, okay, so in the lead up to Osaka Hurricane 2010, they Gamma showed up at the 10th anniversary show. There was a uh, there was a uh, Mochi Fuji versus Hideyoshi and Masamuna match before this, but they had Gamma returning at the Osaka Pro Hurricane show, teaming with Gamma. And for those who don't know, Osaka Pro Hurricane, their version of Kobe World, essentially, or or Russell Kingdom, and Gamma coming in wearing a super dolphin mask and just being booed out of the building. Okay, what a tremendous guy, man. When Gamma wants to be a good wrestler, he can be a good wrestler, or at the very least, an entertaining character. I maybe shouldn't go as far as good wrestler, but there have been times in his career where, man, he finds he finds something to do and he digs his heels in, and I love when he does that. Yeah, so this led to the Tiger's Mask and Super Shisa Brave Gate match where Tiger's Mask beat Super Shisa, and then we had Shima starting to back up uh, the team veteran into there doing a face-off of Billy King Kid, who is the current Osaka Pro Wrestling Champion, and they announced this Hanshin battle from the Kyocera Dome Sky Arena, Sky Area, and uh, just like kicking off the showcase, you talked about the crowd reaction, one of the most incredible crowds, and it really starts off in this opening match. It is the Dragon Gate side is Anthony W. Mori. We have Takuya Toma Komukmai, who I'm going to say that once. Now I'm calling him T-Hawk for the rest of this. And Mark Haskins versus the Osaka Pro pairing of Momo no Shishin of Daisuke Hirata and Azushi Katoge and Takoyo Kida. And it was Katoke penning T-Hawk with a moonsault press. Mike, be honest. Was this the hottest crowd there's ever been for a T-Hawk match? I mean... <laughs> Name another one. Name a T... And look, I had my moment where I loved this man in Dragon Gate. Name a hotter crowd for a T-Hawk match than this six-man tag where he teamed with Anthony W. Morey and Mark Haskins. Find me one. Oh, I can right now. No, the no, match versus Hanion. Oh, okay. That's fair. He was also not wrestling as himself. So that yeah, that's is fair. partial credit. <laughs> he was literally portraying a different human being in that match. But I will give you that fair, fair, fair enough. Yeah. So baby T-Hawk here. Absolute baby. Re I, I forgot how chubby he was up until the excursion, basic, or up until Tomahawk TT. And boy he like he was doing flying shoulder tackles that looked awesome in this and the thing about the show is one side of the sky dome is all dragon gate and the other side is all soccer pro and they will start chanting at each other throughout the show and it's tremendous yeah t-hawk debuted his first televised match is dead or alive 2010 so he's a month into making air at this point this is if I look on my my handy little cage match here, uh, the numbers uh, numbers are too big. I can't do that math. But bottom line, we're looking at one of his first 25 matches since his debut. I think his second or third televised match. And he's he's playing a very specific role. He is playing the Japanese young boy that would fit in in Drangate, Osaka Pro, New Japan, All Japan, Noah. He is interchangeable here. There is a role this would work in any promotion that he was put into. but. Watching that traditional Japanese young boy in an otherwise batshit Lucha Risu six-man tag match is an incredible thing to watch.
Yeah, and, and especially considering that, like, how haphazard this Dragon Gate 6 man was. So, Mark Haskins, yes, this is that Mark Haskins. He barely made TV in Dragon Gate, other than, like, Summer Adventure Tag Leagues, where he was teaming with Pac. And he, I, I don't know if you remember stuff from his Butlin camps or something, but he got pretty quickly, oh, I could just work this crowd. And he did so, and then I was kind of impressed by that. Yeah, so when I was doing my Masao Yoshino article last year, I really tried to get in touch with anybody who wrestled with or against him that spoke English or, in the case of some people, Spanish. And Haskins was one of the guys that I reached out to, and I didn't hear back. You know, a lot of guys go to Drangate, Ricochet, Uha Nation, Jack Evans, whoever, and they always mention how much they love Drangate. Haskins has never been that guy. I don't necessarily know if he loved his time there, so he doesn't really talk about it. But I had a list of questions about Masato Yoshino, and then I had a list of questions about this match because Mark Haskins being in this environment is so funny to me. Like, that's just what it is. It's, again, it's a Japanese young boy who 12 years later has had this bizarre career. It's Anthony W. Mori who would only... Retires. He, he, and- he wrestles for another six months so he's on the brink of retirement and then you look at what Katoge and harada have become these uh, accomplished yet underwhelming junior heavyweights in ring of honor's own mark haskins is in the mix here it's just it's an amazing thing to watch and to see him again you know it's not like he had the most exhilarating uh in-ring dragon gate career but this is the apex of it this is him wrestling like a very comfortable wrestler you know he he understood this environment i think far more than just your cork and hall Gate audience yeah and if anything i think he really played into it as well this was a whole lot of fun you did uh t hawk was not a great wrestler when he was a rookie there we did have some rookie things without it but it didn't eliminate anything from this match if anything it plays into the story and what was a really exhilarating opener that went three and three quarters on I'm I'm at four stars. I love this match. It's just, I, I don't think it's watching clap crowds for two years. I think this crowd is legitimately special. And again, I turned this show on not really knowing what it was the first time, just going, oh, it's Drenge versus Osaka Pro. I, I know there's a Mochi Fuji versus Katoge and Harada match, uh, and Harada match that people love. I'm sure we'll get like a fun Shima match, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then I turned the show on and it's Maury Haskins and T-Hawk and just a high, a high level Lucha Wrestler six man. I couldn't believe what I was watching the first time I saw it. And then I rewatched it a year later today and it was just as good as I remembered it being. So this is a very, very fun match that if you've never seen it just for the novelty's sake, I think you need to sit down and watch it. Oh, absolutely. And then after this, we had the Osaka Pro tandem of Hideyoshi and Masamune versus Super Shisa and Shisa Boy. It was Masamune doing a Cobra Clutch on uh, Shisa Boy to win this one. And Case, Rudo Super Shisa. What I was saying about Don Fuji earlier, in the sense that if he worked for another promotion, a lot more would be asked out of him. Super Shisa's my guy. And you see between obviously the UT match in 2019 and what he was able to accomplish there. And then on the total opposite end of the spectrum, heel Super Shisa in this match. Oh my God, we're we're looking at 
just not squandered potential, not not a wasted career, but really a what could have been. And I mean, if this is the Shisa that wants to show up on the Japanese Indies, I will hunt that down. Like, wouldn't like almost 60 year old cranky Shisa just like socking people in the stomach, giving her seats be so much fun, like on your random vomito star show? Oh, he was just I don't know if he wrestled on the show, if he just attended the show, but he was just in some basement gotta move bullshit indie. I saw a photo of him there on Twitter and it bummed me out because he's he's above that. But he is. I, I don't know if this is what we were thinking about earlier. The lineup for the Gamma retirement show was announced and it's Gamma, Shima, Super Delphin, Zeus, Subasa, T-Hawk, El Lindemann, Magnitude Kishiwada, Ikudo Hidaka, Hubbo, uh, Naoki Tanazaki, Shigehiro Irie, Super Shisa, and a bunch of other guys. That is so right in my wheelhouse, and I hope Shisa has a nice little high-profile match on that show. He deserves it. Or he could sock someone in the stomach. I, Dude, I, he's... It, here's the thing. If Shisa wrestles his entire career in Osaka Pro, and he's kind of go, you know he could even just have the same output but in osaka pro i think the the way humans operate where he would be the top dog in osaka pro or again he's this brave gate guy at the at his very apex in dragon gate we would just revere him as this world-class technical wrestler i think the i've never understood why and this is not calling out anybody specific on this website, but like the Segunda Keita guys or that hardcore pro wrestling only crowd seem to accept Osaka pro way more than they do Dragon Gate, which I've never understood because I like Osaka pro, but it's just a, a, a weaker version of a lot of Dragon Gate stuff. I digress. Hopefully Joe Gagney doesn't get mad at me for that. Uh, but if she says wrestling is the top dog in Osaka pro, I think there's, like deep puro nerds that revere this man as a god and he just happened to be an undercar guy in dragon gate and so only you and i revere him as a god does that make sense oh no entirely yeah it's just exposure and how you're exposed to it yes uh, it, it's the, the perception of shisa was that he was an undercard wrestler but if he was the osaka pro heavyweight champion and had all of the great matches he had in dragon gate just against billy ken kid in a little warehouse in Osaka instead, people would think of him as a world beater and not a mid-carder. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I think you're pretty dead on about that. Uh, Hideyoshi and Masamune. Masamune is now Genkai of uh, Kyushu Pro. We've seen him around a good about there, but Hideyoshi, I thought, kind of stumped. Ah, uh, I, I didn't necessarily have an issue. I didn't have an issue with anybody on this show. I actually thought everybody played their role pretty well. But the Shisa boy Super Shisa pairing as a tag team is something that, again, I wish that would have been explored a little bit more in Dragon Gate. And that's tough, you know, because at this time we're talking about a Twin Gate division that is Doi and Yoshino and Mochi Fuji and Shingo and Yamato. It would be hard to walk into that booking meeting and go, what if we push she's a boy i understand why that didn't happen <laughs> but god damn you look at the way these guys work there's a great sequence where super shisa does a tope and then she's a boy on the opposite side of the ring does a cape rana and it was young bucks rock and roll express level chemistry between two tag team partners 
it, this is like the only two on two Super Shisa and Shisa Boy tag that I can remember. It's just mind blowing to watch. Yeah, they just were really feeder. Basically, until they remember that uh, Sachi was a member of the roster before World One International. It's yeah. Again, it's I, I'm happy with the career Super Shisa had in Dragon Gate. He's mm-hmm. personally one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But what could have been? It is. It is amazing to watch this and to think that this guy. Hey, maybe he was capable of way more than he was positioned to do. I totally with you on this. Uh, then we had the absolute boys. Mochi Fuji, Misaki Mochizuki, and Don Fuji versus Kunishibo Kamen and Asian Kuga and Case. I think that this was my favorite match on this show. <laughs> I'm not surprised I, by that. I'm not, I, I, it's not mine, but I'm not surprised by that at all. So Mochi Fuji wins after Misaki Mochizuki does the twister on Kamen, but... It it's something that like when Cayman like is in is a scenario where it's not expected to do the Cayman act and just like goes out there, the amount of selling and emoting this guy does in a serious match and the amount of sheer hatred that Mochi Fuji had throughout it. I mean, doing just insane like chair throwing within the first minute was exactly why I wanted out of. Yeah, it it is. It is so interesting to watch, especially the first five minutes. And I think this maintains a level of excitement all the way through. But the opening minutes where you have Kamen, who has such a defined character, you know his matches versus Kikutaro, you know what he is, you know what he's going to do. And you have the polar opposite of that in Mochi Fuji. And to watch those forces combat one another in a way that, like you said, turns into like a chair-throwing, violent brawl tag match. It's just, to me, and this is a crazy take to come away from this match, it was like, oh, wrestling's not that hard. I Wrestling is so bad at times because everybody complicates it. And in reality, you define some characters, you put those characters up against opposing forces, and this is what happens. You get Masaki Mochizuki beating up a comedy wrestler and the comedy wrestler fighting back and at times getting one over on Mochizuki. I'm so I'm so glad you have that take that this is your favorite match on the show. It's not mine, but boy, do I understand why it's yours. I mean, we had Kuka doing that insane slingshot senton to the floor on top of chairs and Cayman doing the moonsault right after it. Cayman is so awesome in this match. It's 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 not like Stalker's never done anything quite like this. Stalker has the German suplex spot in the R.E.D. versus Toriumon Dispans match, which is maybe the single greatest spot in wrestling history. But he's never had a match where he just turns it up to 100 and wrestles like this, at least that I've seen. Maybe I'm forgetting something, but... This is, again, I thought this was going to be like goofy Don Fuji, and this turns into a war, and I I couldn't believe what I was watching. And it's something that I kind of think that the costume and Cayman doing this is what makes it pull, pulls this off. Because you, you have him in like his clown outfit, and he has to do all, he has to do all of his selling because the mask is completely covered, like through his physical emotions and how like he hits the mat, and then like he does it with a little bit of a comedic flair, but it's also a flair. It's like, oh yeah, no, this guy just got rocked, and it 
And it's something that makes Mochi Fuji come off as like such killers. And it makes sense why came in stepping up. This is his home that he's fighting. Like it would have been perfectly acceptable to have Stalker Chikawa versus Kunishibo came in. But we didn't have that. And I think we're, that actually makes her much more interesting. I really, really like this. It, it's a show where you largely, you know, the Super Shisa match, yes, he's working heel, but, you know, that that makes sense. That match makes sense. The Warriors tag that we're about to talk about, the Shima main event, that is the sort of stuff that you would expect from Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro. The opening match, just for the participants involved, blew my mind. And then you have this, which just subverted my expectations to such an amazing degree. And it is one of those matches that would I put it on a spreadsheet? No. Do I think it's worth watching? One million percent, yes. Talking about that Warriors match, so this was an elimination match. Didn't have Nanawa Yoshida rules. So this was just over-the-top or normal ways to win a fall. It was the Warriors side of Gamma, Rio Saito, Dragon Kid and Ginky Horikuchi versus the LOV side from Osaka Pro Tigers match, Tadasuke, uh, Blacked Buffalo, and the Bodyga. And it was Ginky Horikuchi as the sole survivor after an absolute chaotic war that then went straight into a sprint towards the end. Oh my god, Mike, this match. It's so good. This is one of those that when Genki Horiguchi retires and it it is going to come sooner rather than later. And we need to invest in Kleenex because that I, I did not, I did not shed a tear during Masato Yoshino's retirement ceremony. Akira Tozawa's goodbye. Farewell. I was dry eyed when Genki Horiguchi retires. I do think it is going to move me on a human level. We did a podcast 18 months ago with Alan Forel and he did a monologue on Genki that literally almost moved me to tears because it made me realize how much I love Genki Horiguchi, not only as a wrestler, but what he represents to wrestling and why it's worthwhile to invest time into a hobby that often sucks. And this is one of the premier Genki Horiguchi performances. This is a, this is very much and the way that the opening match, like that match could take place on any Osaka pro show. This eight man with the funky rules and the eliminations and the interference spots, this was a Dragon Gate match. And this was Genki Horiguchi shining the brightest out of all eight guys involved. And it's something where basically they get brawly, they get sleazy to start, and then they go into just the ongoing thing that you expect out of a match that involves Maraha Asapa. You have all their callouts and like that. And then you started to get... Uh, you start getting these uh, quick eliminations. First, uh, Ginky accidentally eliminating Rio Saito. Then Kid being able to uh, pen the bodyguard. And it just goes really fast and furious. And it ends with basically Ginky Horiguchi alone in the ring with Black Buffalo and Tiger's Mask. And then for the next three minutes, just pulls out every single way for him to do the backslide from heaven. Getting Tiger's Mask or... Yeah, it was Tiger's Mask he got with the first one, and it was, no, it was Black Buffalo he got with the first one. Then he has to go to a low blow and does the backslide from hell to win the to win the match for Warriors. And you saw basically a lot of this, that the more face side of Warriors were not willing to get sleazy, but Gamma and Kinki Horiguchi were more than willing to. And seeing the uh, Ginky spit spot in 2022 or the Gamma Spit Spot in 2022. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that on his farewell show. You know? Oh, darn. Oh, Gamma's not going to be able to spit at people? Oh, what are we ever going to do? 
Yeah, but but those like the weird things like it wasn't like the COVID crowd thing. So it was, it was me going like, oh, Gamma is not going to gargle a bunch of water again in his career. <laughs> That's I, what I, struck I, me. I'm glad you mentioned that spot because there is, uh, I I love the crowd. I love the building. I I'm so I was so disappointed watching this because I don't I don't know if I've ever seen another show taped in this venue. And I think this is an incredible venue for wrestling. You mentioned the crowds being on opposite sides, the Dragon Gate fans and the Osaka Pro fans. Gamma does that water spot, and then. I don't I don't know the name for it, but everybody's seen it. If you watch Shima and Gamma matches, their little like ooh spot where they raise their fists in the air. Watching that crowd react to that spot and do the Warriors taunt with him is a visual that I I'm pretty good with words. I'm an okay talker. It is I'm not saying I'm great at it. It is my best skill set though. I do not have the words to put into this podcast over how powerful that visual display was of the Dragon Gate side of the audience just treating Gamma with such respect in being so into that act and being so into that spot. It is incredible to watch. It is really remarkable. And it's Gamma, I mean, spent his entire career before Dragon Gate in Osaka Pro knowing knowing at least how to get the audience. Cause then he like me goes and he stares down the Osaka pro side with like a sneer. And it's just like, Oh, this is gamma. This is like the gamma that we're supposed to respect actually, you know, doing awesome things there. And I don't know if the Osaka pro side was chanting violence. Cause I know LOV violence is a part of it, but it was something where like you hear, you heard like, you heard like HAG calls and then violence on the other side that just added something to the it's my favorite match on the show it is a a phenomenal match I went four and a quarter here and this is really where the opposing crowds add a certain layer to this match it's this is in the truest sense Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro you see a really nice blend of the house styles this is, I, you know, we're going to do a podcast in August of, of Gamma's career retrospective. I've been sweating bullets. We finally have a guest for it, at least. But I don't know what we're going to talk about other than, you know, through gritted teeth Gamma. But this is one of those matches where it's like, oh, my God. Wow. Look at him go. And then you have Genki and you have Saito doing their things. This uh, this whole show is essential viewing. It's two hours. Sit down and watch it. But if for some reason you only have time to watch one match, I would make it this one. Yeah, and if you don't really want to watch, because like there's, this is a commercial DVD, so there's like interviews between these matches. You can get through this in an hour twenty. Like if you just want to watch in ring stuff, it's a very fast watch. Oh, I have to go like hang out with my family or like talk to my kid. I can't watch Dragon Gate versus Osaka Pro. No, actually, you can. This is viewing for the whole family. So, okay, so you brought up the venue, and it piqued my interest, and I looked into it as much as I could, and I didn't find out much, but. The Kyocera Dome is where the Oryx Buffalo and Hanshin Tigers play baseball, and the Sky, the, the the Sky Arena is attached to it, basically. So it is. It, I thought it was like the overhang, and they put it underneath the overhang because I think the sound reverberates. But I've never seen another show in this venue. So when COVID first hit and baseball season was delayed there was all that talk of like, okay, so we're all going to get super into Japanese baseball. And I remember ESPN was showing the Korean league, but as it turns out, at least in my experience, 
trying to follow Japanese baseball, trying to watch it was an incredibly difficult process. And it was also very hard because I was looking for a team from Kobe because of Dragon Gate. And the closest to that is the Oryx Buffalo, who are based in Osaka, but used to be the Oryx Blue Wave of Kobe. So I was like, all right, great. This is my team. And then I learned that they were just absolute dog shit. And COVID was very hard on all of us for that reason. You, you know who is a member of the Blue Wave? Who's that? Oh, Ichiro Suzuki. Yeah, see, that's okay. So that's great in one sense. But then also, am I a poser for that? <laughs> I, I mean, that's just like a little fun, like little like aside for being a Buffalo fan. I see Ryan Vogelsong is a uh, at least at one point was a member of the Blue Wave. No, the OK, so I I'll accept that liking the same Japanese baseball team that Ichiro was on is fine. I do want to take this opportunity to say that I have spent most of my life trying to get music into people's lives. I am the opposite of a gatekeeper. I want people to watch Drangate. I want people to listen to the bands I like. I do think it's very funny to gatekeep Kate Bush from Stranger Things Kids, and I hope that everybody listening follows me in that, of making sure that people know that you like Kate Bush before she was on Stranger Things. Is it just because of like the time period that Stranger Things is in that like now people are being exposed to Kate Bush for the first time? Well, running like, up that hill was in an episode. I've never seen the show. I'm not a dork. Yeah, but running up that hill is in a lot of TV shows. That's what I thought. Too. I don't understand why this is getting like why now it's happening. And it made me go like, OK, so put a Smith song in a Stranger Things episode. Let's kind of turn back the tide on how people think about Morrissey and the Smiths. That would be huge for me personally. But I, it's, I don't understand why it's blown up to the degree that it has. But like right now, if you look on Spotify, Kate Bush is the 93rd most listened to artist in the world, and she deserves it. That's great. But I don't understand why now, why this impact. And why not the title track, Hounds of Love, which is the best song on that record? I mean, running up that hill, though, is iconic. It's, it's good. It, Hounds of Love, the, the song, is, is quite good. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. It, it, man, now I'm thinking about things I've seen uh, or I've heard <laughs> just, running up the hill. In general, did I did I pour some trauma into your life by accident? No, You're thinking of no, things you've no, seen. No. <laughs> it, it, you would think that maybe going to art school as long as I did, I have dated someone who was a Kate a Kate Bush fan, and you would be correct. But I got out of you know having to listen to. Kate I, Bush I was gonna say well. I've, I've certainly liked some women that are really into Kate Bush. It's part of the reason that I like them because I you know I think she's fine. But if anybody asks, no, I'm a huge Kate Bush fan, and I liked I liked her before Stranger Things. Let's set the record straight. We're getting real dirt back here tonight. Apparently, <laughs> I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> so the main event of this show is for the Osaka Pro Championship. This was Billy King Kid defending against Shima. Shima won with a Meteora after a very interesting powerbomb that looked like that he got a headbutt to the groin and Shima was acting like he did as a heelish maneuver to win the Osaka Pro title and for Dragon Gate to win the night three matches to two. So this is a Shima Dreamgate match, but in front of an Osaka Pro crowd, and that is going to tell you everything you need to know about the match. I liked it. I love when Shima has this edge to him. I love when he's given an opportunity to work heel. It starts slow. It ends big. If that is something you can invest your time into, great. You're going to really like this match. I really like this match, but it is the Shima big match formula, which I know does not compute for everybody. I would say that 
uh, this is 17 minutes, so it's not as bad as, you know, the, the Shima epic match for those who dislike it. And he really does try to do the big dogging heelish thing a whole lot. Like that really, I came away with this going like, oh, Shima really decided to be a prick tonight versus, oh, Shima wanted to have his Dreamgate match. I, I, the pacing of it, even though it was 17 minutes, I actually, I thought it was much longer. That's kind of an indictment on this match. Uh, the pacing of it to me screamed, hey, let me try out some stuff a month before Kobe World. Let me see if I can sort of get some of these spots down. But I like that sort of stuff. I like when Shima's in this environment. I, I can live with him working a little bit slow, especially when he's leaning into the heel work like he did. Yeah, and it's something that Billy King Kid, when he came back after and had his big moments in this match, it's one of those things that we were watching that Kyushu Pro match. I was like, Billy King Kid, he's always been great, and he's he's excellent here. I mean, he's precise. He his timing is insane. It's something that I know that he kind of is like the one of the names that you associate with Soccer Pro. But whenever I see Billy King Kid, and like, and even when like he makes appearances elsewhere, I'm like, oh man, Billy King Kid is always. He just celebrated his 25th year in wrestling this past week. He had a very long singles match with Hubbo on an Osaka Pro show, so hopefully that pops up soon. Yeah, no Osaka Pro has TV. So Yeah, it's what, I'll a half-hour block on Gaiora? Yeah, yeah, half-hour, but I mean, given its like position, I mean, I think it was always on Samurai and then doing uh, the indie show. Like that, that was like a thing about this that when I when I've had to like look up stuff to refresh my mind about the storyline, I had to go to uh, Brad Caroon's uh, archive and his bringing up the fact like, oh yeah, no, this is almost all the footage from like in the lead up to this and all the matches happened on like the indie show, not on either of their TV. It's strange. It is a hidden gem in the history of Dragon Gate. It is really the closest Dragon Gate got in terms of the layout to the first Dragon Gate USA show. This is, to me, sort of the Japanese equivalent. You see, like, to me, like, it did have that vibe of DGUSA, but to me, this really had the vibe of whenever, like, invading units or stables actually feels vibrant. It actually feels like that, oh, this company is invading and not necessarily like like ROH versus CZW had that very well, especially in the cage of death match. And that's what I really kind of got out of it. But yeah, this is just one of those things that I think that because of the show was done for commercial DVD and was done for Osaka, that just the show kind of drifted into the ether. Yeah. ROH versus CZW, new Japan versus war. I'm just now thinking of this. It's a little bit of the the grown up version of Crazy Max invading Michinoku Pro, which is a fun thing to think about. I might watch this show a second time just with that in mind. But it is it is such a fun watch. It is so different than anything that is currently happening in wrestling. And this was 12 years ago, which in one sense is a long time and another not that long ago. But it feels like a different universe from anything happening like I said, the link will be in the description. It's on YouTube. You don't have to go to some weird website. It is on YouTube. Cast it to your TV. Sit back and enjoy this show. I had so much fun watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Any uh, denunciations of reporting you want to do? <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> I, 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 you know, op- open the voice gate. Uh, has been and will continue to be the premier source for Dragon Gate Info. 
And I was so annoyed that I posted on Reddit this past week, which means <laughs> I was in a very bad place mentally. And I, I, it's not, it's not us versus Dave and Brian. I just want the information to be right. And I trust what we have heard from the people we have heard it from so much more than I trust what we know about what they've heard. If we're wrong, I would be more than happy to come on here and say that we're wrong. But I'm so confident that Dave and Brian are not right in this situation. I don't care that it's them getting it wrong. I don't care. I, I don't care. I just want the information to be right. And right now, they're not reporting what is right. Yeah. And it's it's just something that I stand by everything we've reported before, as I mentioned on Twitter, cases, Reddit posts as well. And yeah, I have no ill will to brian and dave i don't know brian and dave but i know especially especially once once we learn more about right what's going on it's not what they did was not good but i'm more sympathetic to their cause i mean you there are certain processes that were failed on their part yes no bad bad job out of them not as bad bad as i thought we'll say that uh i still think like (laughs) but that but, but that's something that i have talked about on that first episode where i went through and the process with that at this point if if it turns out that somehow that their reporting is right on this i'd be absolutely stunned and yeah i will uh address it but i like Kay said i'm completely uh object to their reporting on this and stand by what we said but i just wanted to make sure that we at least had that on air other than tweets and reddit before we got out I of here po- i posted on reddit disgusting hey real quick before we go did you see that all japan we talked about this last week about how their Corkin attendance was really weirdly doing good great. did you see they did 999 fans at cork and hall last week yeah all japan for, for a six-man tournament what the f- what I it, I only question it because it's not like I have people in my ear going like, "Hey, did you check out that All Japan main event? That was really good." I heard I heard no buzz about the Champion Carnival. I don't know anybody that watched it. I don't know anybody that's talking about it. In, I mean, that they were doing nine ninety nine in Corkin before COVID, so that's a great number for them. Yeah, like it's something that when like in, in case I'm actually I, I'm about to, and I'll talk to you more off air. But I'm about to do a project kind of making sense out of Corkin Corkin numbers. And this is something that, like, maybe the momentum coming out of Champion Carnival going into Oda Ward is real for them. Like, The show looks like it sucks. I don't want to watch this. This is not a... Are you looking at this? This is not a good-looking show. Yeah. uh, How much Seiko Tachibana do you like? Because you have to like a lot of it to get through the show. I would say none. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. Good. Look, good for them. I want wrestling companies to be as healthy as humanly possible. Oh, for sure. The All Japan Cork in attendance is to me the biggest story in wrestling right now that they're doing. <laughs> Mike, they're doing they're doing double what Noah's doing. Noah's doing yeah. 400 in Cork and Hall. All Japan just put a goddamn thousand people in that building. And I just I can't believe it. Because quite honestly, this show looks terrible. I don't. I'm not sitting down and watching this show. This is a bad show. But 999 people were in the building for it, so more power to them. Hey, this is where I always say that, like, we are the unintended next audience. It's working. It's working for them natively. It's just I look at this show and I'm just like, no, nah, I'm good. 
I'm very good now that I'm really looking at this ship. Oh my god, the main event is Kento Miyahara, who's good, Minoru Suzuki, who's not anymore, Suwama, who's never been good, against Jake Lee, who's fine, Shuji Ishikawa, who's washed, and Yumi Aoyagi, who, look, I haven't watched him in a number of years, I can't comment, I've heard he's doing good work, good for him. Is Aoyagi just that hot? Is that what it is? I don't know what, this is not, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is, I'm fascinated by this. If you if you can make it 90 minutes through an open the voice get episode and also watch all Japan, which has to be like one or two people, that's a lot to ask. Those, those two things specifically combined is a big ask for humanity. Please explain it to me because I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah, uh, that is at underscore in your case. You could just leave case on that. I'm pretty <laughs> drop in the discord. Send me a letter. Tweet me. I don't care. Send me a fucking Reddit DM. I, I'm on the I'm on the website now. Uh you're self-loathing about reddit in 2022 it's just it's just it's posting on reddit i'll read it but posting is embarrassing you see this is this is the age gap right here case because i was forged on the boards post that is a gross statement i know i was talking a lot about (laughs) louis earlier and that might be problematic but what you just said that was gross i'm sorry the only way that we got better was posting so, I mean, sharpening our blades. How'd that work for out this. for America? I mean, you know, we took the wrong lessons from something awful. <laughs> All right, Case. All right, good talk. <laughs> All right. Now, now, I think that we're really done here. You can follow us at Open Voice Gate. I'm at Fujihaya Cases at underscore in your case. Thanks for listening to this episode of Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week talking about Okinawa dragon cross dragon we're visiting gherkin mass case he's finally invited us to Okinawa. i can't wait next week's show should be a lot of fun all right guys have a good rest of your week take care